Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast. I created this podcast along with my blog and brand to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life. I truly believe that we all have the power to live a life we love, and to do so, it's so important to be in tune with ourselves and be open to growing and evolving. I believe that once we can trust ourselves and our vision, that's when we can thrive. So with this podcast, I plan to discuss all things to do with self-reflection, personal growth, mindsets, and self-belief, all aspects that affect us in our everyday life. If you feel connected to my message and want to listen more often, I will be sharing one podcast a week, so make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode. If you haven't yet, make sure to catch up on episodes because we've seemed to be getting a lot of new listeners on the show. So welcome. If you haven't listened to past episodes, you can catch up on them. So whether that's iTunes or Spotify and make sure to subscribe right away so that you don't miss a new episode every Thrive Thursday. And so on this week's episode, we have Layla Alawa. And Layla is the founder and CEO of The Tempest. The Tempest is the fastest growing media company changing the global narrative of diverse millennial women. The Tempest connects millions of people daily with thousands of female thought leaders on every issue under the sun, disrupting the global media status quo. In 2017, Layla presented a TED Talk called The Secret Behind World Domination. In 2018, she was named to Forbes 30 Under 30 for elevating the voices of women of all ethnicities around the world. Layla was nominated as Changemaker for the United States of Women White House Summit. She regularly appears on national and international television, radio, and podcast programs to provide a perspective on minority stereotyping, media, technology, politics, and gender studies, including NPR, Cheddar, and BBC World. Layla has also built an extensive following on social media where she engages with news, entrepreneurship, and culture. Since founding The Tempest, Layla has been quoted in nationwide outlets like The New York Times, The Guardian, and CNN Money as a disruptive force in media. Prior to founding the company, Layla worked at the White House and Congress and previously served as a research specialist at Princeton University, where she studied socio-cognitive processing under the framework of community identity and belonging. So in this episode, Layla opens up about so many topics that we unpack. She gets very raw and real in this episode, explaining how, you know, she had death threats, she was bullied, she dealt with so much hate for different aspects of just being herself and using her voice, including wearing her headscarf and how that's affected her in her life. And she also opens up about dealing with mental health and how that's been a struggle for her when starting her company because not that many people talk about mental health in startups. And Layla explains that that needs to change. So let's get right into it with Layla. Hi, Layla. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So can you start off telling us a little more about yourself and what you do with The Tempest? Yeah, so that one's a fun question. <laughs> so I'm Layla, and um, a little bit about myself. I 
am an immigrant, first-gen immigrant to the United States, I'm the oldest of eight. Uh, so my youngest sister is actually nine years old. And I run the global media company, The Tempest. Uh, it's a media company for women who will. So really for anyone who feels like they've been left out of the conversation, um, that's something that we've we've really uh, built uh, built out our global audience on. That's amazing. And how old were you when you moved here? I actually was five and three quarters because I still remember having my first birthday in the United States. And um, I was really disappointed that we were moving to the U.S. So my uh, background is I'm Syrian and Danish, but we actually, uh, I actually grew up in Japan, non sequitur. Uh, and so when we were about to leave Japan to go to the U.S., when I first found out that we were leaving, uh, my friend's mom um, we were watching Winnie the Pooh at the time, and uh, I used to be fluent in Japanese, like my dad likes to say, like like an old Japanese man. <laughs> and so she she said to me, oh, you want to hear what your new language is going to be? And so I was not thrilled, but I said yes. And she put on Winnie the Pooh in English, and I still remember just... <laughs> my utter disgust <laughs> because English is a very coarse language compared to Japanese. So, so yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's, it's been a journey, but, um, you know, the United States is, um, is really my home and it's, it's a place that my family chose because, you know, it's the land of opportunity and it's been, um, amazing to kind of grow up here and see, see things change and see how I can make a change. Mm -hmm. And was that your inspiration behind The Tempest? Do you feel like when you moved here or before creating it, maybe there wasn't a platform you felt like was as inclusive as you'd want it to be? Yeah. So with regard to The Tempest, so essentially the background, um, the backstory to it is very much selfish. <laughs> um, you know, growing up, uh, I'm also... Uh, an American Muslim. And so um, September 11th was an incredibly traumatic time for everyone, um, you know, here. And uh, as a result of it, uh, growing up at the time I was in upstate New York, we later moved, but there, there were a lot of unknowns, right? So um, a lot of kids my age uh, didn't didn't want to um, be friends with me once they found out what I was. Uh, and so I grew up very much alone. Um, really, only my siblings were were there. And so as a, as a teenager, while I was growing up, I made the vow that if I ever had the power, the ability to do anything about it, I would make sure that no woman or girl or non-binary individual ever uh, felt silenced, censored, or otherwise stereotyped. And so that really stuck with me um, through college. I went to Wellesley College, um, which is a, an all-women's college. Uh, notable alumni is uh, Hillary Clinton. I guess like that's that's the one that everyone's like, oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. And so when I was there, I actually studied, um, you know, stereotyping in the sciences and looking at kind of what is the gender of a successful scientist. And fun fact, it's 
male, even though we have tried so hard for many years. Uh, but after graduation, um, I ended up working at Princeton University. And back then I was like, oh, I want to be a psychology professor because the real world, <laughs> the real world is too much to handle. And I just don't want to deal with it. Um, but I always had a love for writing. And so I ended up doing research at Princeton, looking at how storytelling and rhetoric actually affects our memory and decision making. So if you think back to any large uh, global event that, you know, the news was picking up and everybody was talking about the memory that you have of where you were and what you were doing at that moment is not actually your real memory. Um, it's been laid over with the stories and rhetoric and media conversations from, you know, your family, your friends, politicians, the media. And so there really is a power to storytelling. Um, and at the same time, so I was just a year and a half out of college. Uh, and at that time, there was a uh, radical feminist group called Femin. And I'm, I personally identify as a feminist. And so they were launching this campaign to, quote unquote, save women, um, Muslim women from the headscarf. So if you're listening to this episode, then I'm sure you've seen my photo. I wear a headscarf and I was really pissed off um, with the fact that the media was only interviewing members of this group. And so mostly blonde good-looking women about what it was like to rescue, quote-unquote rescue, a group of women who had their own voices, who, who disagreed with what was going on. And I was really annoyed about that. And so while I was still at Princeton, I, you know, would spend time, I'm sure we all did this, like, or do this on Facebook, now it's Instagram, but Facebook at 3 a.m. I was scrolling, I had, I found Ariana Huffington's email um, at like 3 a.m. and I screenshotted it this one time and so when all of this stuff went down I got so frustrated I you know I was planning to post a Facebook status <laughs> and instead I was like you know what I had so much imposter syndrome like I had never been published before but in that moment I just was so angry and frustrated I pulled up Ariana Huffington's email and I was like listen um, I'm a Muslim, I wear a headscarf, I'm a feminist, and I am not oppressed, and I don't agree with what these women are doing, and I would like to write an article for the Huffington Post. And I just said to her, I was like, okay, cool, I'll, like, disappear into the black hole that is her inbox. <laughs> well, at least I tried. <laughs> she responded the next day, she was like, go for it. Um, I wrote the article, it was published the day after, and I put it on Facebook and I thought, cool, you know, check it off my bucket list. My parents will be proud of me. I actually did something with my life. Um, and the article ended up going viral. It got thousands of um, death threats and comments, hate comments. And, you know, uh, I ended up, it was on the front page of Huffington Post. Um, and you can still find it online. It's The title is literally, I am not oppressed. And I ended up going on HuffPost Live, which was their debate platform. And I almost didn't go on it because um, the Boston Marathon bombing had just happened the day before. Like just so much was happening in one week. But at that point I was like, oh, you know, screw it, I'm gonna go on. And I ended up, they didn't tell me who I was debating. I ended up debating the founder of Femin. Um, 
you know, so you have this like 20, I was 21, 21 year old college graduate and this grown woman, uh, just, I was a mess for most of it, um, since I'm from the Boston area. And then in the middle of it, you know, we're having this back and forth and she just stops me and she's like, you know what? I don't want to talk to you. I'm not going to talk to you anymore until you take off that thing on your head. Oh my gosh. That moment, everything just clicked. It, you know, in my ear, the producers were saying, okay, Leila, you know, let's, uh, like, let's wrap this up because, you know, we want to ask you a few questions about what happened in Boston, how you're feeling, et cetera. But that was the moment that I was like, you know what? I started told the producers <laughs> and I, I, I said, um, on live on air, I said, you know, the, the problem is, is that the media is always saying we don't hear from um, Muslim women or underrepresented minorities. We don't hear from these groups that are never heard from enough. And yet when they decide to give us a few seconds of time, that's it. It's just a few seconds. And it, it was really when I saw my life change, you know, after that, um, and I, also I like, I did a very good smackdown of her. I was very proud of myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to say in that moment, like, how did you react? How do you react to that? Like in that moment when you're trying, you know, to still be professional, but I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, I said to her that, um, you know, I've been respecting your humanity this entire time. And the fact that you can't even see me for the human that I am says more about you than it says about anything else. She really had nothing to say after that, because the fact of the matter is, is that her comment is not, it, it's not like an anomaly. You know what I'm saying? Like you see it all the time happen to so many different women. Um, and so after that, I was just like, dang, you know, I, um, I need to go into the real world <laughs> mm -hmm. and, you know, left, left academia behind, moved down to DC. I thought, okay, maybe I'll get into government. Um, I did work on, on the Hill and I, I worked with um, the white house for a little bit, but at the same time I ended up um, starting, you know, it was really a side hustle and I would come home from a really long day and then just, get online and work on what's now the Tempest. And so, you know, it, it really started as, I didn't even, how do I put this? I didn't think that I belonged in startup spaces. So I didn't even think that I was creating a business. I just was like, I want to create a platform where it's not, being silenced is not the norm anymore um, and not being silenced just for someone like me, but for anybody. And, um, and so, you know, we, we've grew essentially 40% um, year over year. And in 2016, we had a little guerrilla relaunch party at South by Southwest. And, um, you know, now I have this like incredible team internationally and we reach, I think, over 10 million um, people every month. And that's just it, it's continued to grow. And it really comes down to the current media landscape. Right. So if you think about it, um, even you, Tara, how often do you see stories that you personally identify with? 
in the media, whether it's in the news or um, in Hollywood or, you know, in any kind of medium that consume, you consume, how often do you see yourself? Not enough at all. Definitely not enough. Or it's just like a fantasy. It's not a realistic portrayal. Those are always my favorites. <laughs> yeah, see, so there's an effect. There's an effect when we don't see ourselves in in what we're consuming. And it goes down to this, that only five to seven, so that's five to seven, like singular numbers <laughs> um, of media companies, both new and legacy. So like uh, BuzzFeed and the New York Times, uh, media companies around the world are actually owned or run by women and within the typical newsroom so again in in a media um space uh eight out of ten of the folks there are going to be men um specifically white men and then two to three out of the people there are going to be classified as diverse so whether that's uh in their sexuality their ethnicity their um faith whatever it is it's such an incredibly low number. So if you have this room of people uh, and this top-down system where there are specific, you know, like if there's an editor that's like, cool, um, I want to get a story about uh, someone like Tara, but, you know, as a white man, (laughs) and I'm not dissing white men because I am white, but, you know, we have our own experiences. We have, (laughs) like, we have very specific experiences. And so someone who makes these kinds of decisions about the kinds of stories that are put out there, it reflects in the kinds of stories that we as people are consuming and the kinds of decisions and behaviors that we end up engaging in, right? And it disempowers or it makes you forget. I don't, it's not really disempowerment, but it really makes you forget just how much power you have as a woman, as a person, um, as a podcaster, you know, specifically talking about you, Tara, um, but in ways that you may not consciously recognize, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 that's really what what's behind what I do um, with the Tempest and what my team does with the Tempest is we have so many people um, that come up to us or reach out to us and and. Recently, my co-founder, she was at an event, for example, and she was speaking and there was a woman in the audience who had seen her name and didn't recognize her. So she was like, oh, OK, cool. But then she saw the the words The Tempest and she had actually stumbled across The Tempest a few days before and had come in late to work <laughs> because she had started reading an article and got swallowed into it. So she was 45 minutes late to work because she'd never actually seen content or storytelling that she identified with strongly. And that's something that um, that we're really proud of uh, is the fact that we're not about empowering people. Um, that sounds horrific, but I really believe that innately each of us has the power. We each have power in us, right? And sometimes we just forget or we're told that we don't have it. Um, and I'm speaking from personal experience. So much I want to unpack in there. So I want to ask you, how did you gain that self-confidence and self-awareness, you know, like with all these people maybe saying really hurtful comments to you? How are you able to, how are you so strong with your sense of self? How did you develop that? Was it your family, the environment you grew up in? 
If anyone wants to take a Google of my name, uh, if you hit page two, you start down a, a lovely rabbit hole. Um, but uh, with with a lot of lovely articles and being fully sarcastic. But essentially, so when I was 10, I made a bet with my mom. My mom bet me that I couldn't put on the headscarf. And I don't like losing a bet. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I did it. And... Um, and I specifically chose to wear it a certain way because I wanted to be able to, you know, live my life. And, and, and so I've always been really firm about if I'm going to do something, I'm, I'm going to put my 150% in it, right? Um, a, a lot of people will be like, oh, so were you for, forced to put it on? No, I wasn't. Um, and every day you make the decision to put it on or keep it off, right? So the reality is, though, that growing up, I was regularly harassed, stalked, really this understanding that my vulnerability is one of my biggest strengths, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very easy to dehumanize other people. Um, you look at someone and you just see what they portray or what they um, exhibit. And in college, I actually, in my senior year, was told I couldn't go on a trip, a research course because of my headscarf uh, the professor actually asked if I could take it off and I was like no and that was the first time that someone had said to me you can't go after your dreams because of a choice that you made and I would have just swallowed it and let my heart kind of break a little bit uh, except my mom got on the phone with me and was yelling at me <laughs> we're gonna sue the college <laughs> um <laughs> And so I ended up calling the president at Wellesley and saying, hey, you know, I don't want to get the professor in trouble, but for this trip specifically, can you put in the course catalog, students with headscarves need not apply. Um, and of course, as soon as I uh, put that request in, the the problem was fixed right away and I was able to go on the trip, but it was, it was an extremely emotionally traumatic trip. Um, you know, if you're constantly being forced to apologize or feel like you're not allowed to be in spaces where you're more than qualified to be in, it makes you start feeling like there's something deeply wrong with you. And so I guess to answer your question of how I deal with those, when people leave death threats or hate comments or I, re- I respect, you know, your political beliefs and decisions, et cetera, et cetera. However, I had served on a, um, a task force <laughs> with the Department of Homeland Security, essentially um, working with them on how to create a more um, open and accepting uh, America. And when the report came out, I had actually stepped down from the task force because I disagreed with some of the things that were in the report. And they left my name in it, even though I'd said to remove it. So it was picked, my, my name was the most foreign one. And, you know, they looked, the, there was a reporter who looked through my Twitter, found out, oh, wow, like, look at this. She's wearing a headscarf. She's young. She's a woman. <laughs> um, her name is funny. So he wrote an article and it blew up and the alt-right, I'm not saying MAGA is alt-right, but I'm saying the alt-right went, went crazy. Um, the alt-right decided that I was their latest target. Um, and this was right in the midst of the 
the really like high point of the election cycle. So June, um, it, it was an extremely difficult time. And so I had tens of thousands of people um, attack me on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, whenever people are like, oh, okay, like a couple death threats, a couple hate comments. It, it, it was an extremely difficult time. And it really, you know, I couldn't, how do you, how do I put this? You can't explain to someone like, hey, yeah, this is how I'm feeling or this is what's happening because to do that would mean to make them go through it. Um, I just, I, I like to make sure that I am uplifting others. And so, you know, the entire time I just kept telling myself, okay, I'm going through this and it's, it's because I, I know that I can get through this and things will get worse in the future, you know, because of the work that I'm doing. So I have to keep, I just have to keep going. That tells me that we have so much to do. And I kind of just kept bringing it back to, okay, my humanity is just as valid as everyone else's. And the fact that these individuals think that it's okay to go after someone or to go after someone simply because you've decided to drink the Kool-Aid about what they stand for um, or what they're supposedly standing for. It, it makes me sad because this is a nation that was quite literally built on a recognition that we all belong here and we all bring something to the table. So I guess that would be um, kind of, I mean, it hurt. Like I had a breakdown. I did have like a, screaming crying breakdown in the car like a month and a half later just because I couldn't do it anymore I mean you hold it all inside uh but I'm good now good well I mean I can't imagine that's a lot to deal with and thank you so much for being so vulnerable and I mean that's what those terrorist groups do like whatever it is they try they want to scare you they want you to not use your voice and that's the whole point they want to make you feel small and so I admire you so much for continuing to do what you do and spread your message. And so if you don't mind sharing, did you really struggle with that, like struggle with mental health? And how were you able to overcome that and to keep going? Because, you know, at the end of the day, you don't want to let that hate win. And so how did you work through that? Yeah, so I, um, I deal with mental health issues. I don't struggle. I, I battle, um, chronic depression, anxiety, like generalized anxiety, ADHD, which is a fun one, and uh, bipolar disorder. And so I typically go to therapy. Unfortunately, that summer, my therapist was actually on maternity leave. <laughs> so yeah. I had to go through that on my own. I don't think about that, like therapist being on maternity leave. You're like, I need you. <laughs> I come back, you know, I yeah. just had a baby, but yeah. No, <laughs> um, I mean, I'll be frank, and when everything was happening, my mental health was shot to hell. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't really eating. Um, but I would force myself every day, you know, I'm not saying every morning because I would be awake all night just reading that, you know, reading what came in, like reading the tweets. I couldn't stop refreshing uh, my Twitter, even though I'd like, because I did mass blocks, so I would block thousands and then thousands more would be flooding in, right? So uh, it, it was for me a um, a matter of just kind of like 
fighting through because if if I were to let this affect my work with The Tempest, for example, then what does that say about, like you said, what does that say about um, the groups that ensure that this would happen? I mean, if they, if they win and they silence you, um, then you've lost part of who you are. Like you've lost a big part of who you are. And so it was my, my mental health was a mess and people really, um, I, I actually hated talking to people about it because I've, I would go and see people, see friends, um, or, you know, acquaintances, and they'd be like, oh, my God, tell me about everything that happened to you. Like, they just were feeding off of this stuff. Like, they, they were feeding off of my pain. And, and these are people who, you know, like, you expect to honor what you're dealing with. <laughs> yeah, at least validate it. Yeah, yeah, they... they they just wanted to, even though that you could do a quick Google and find out just how many, you know, like you could, you could see what was going on with me. They wanted me to tell them what was happening because they, they wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth, right? They, they wanted to live, live through me like, you know, oh, wow, that, that sounds so bad, but they're like smiling while, while they say it. So my mental health was really shot to hell. And, um, I think it was really, it, it's been a matter of to every single individual who has ever tried to do something like that to me. If you're listening to this and you are struggling with something, um, go to therapy. Uh, I tell people to go to therapy all the time and they'll say, I don't have enough time. Like I, I don't have time for it. Or, you know, I'm really busy. And then I'll be like, oh, okay, what's your favorite show? And they'll give me like three shows. <laughs> or they have time to go to the gym, but they don't have time to take care of their mental health. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's 45 minutes. Let's factor in maybe 20 minutes for the commute. But come on, like you definitely have time to go once a week and make sure that half of you or most of you, because your brain literally controls the rest of your body, um, is, is being taken care of. And that's something that has really allowed me to keep going um, and flourish instead of just survive, um, thrive instead of survive. And, um, and you know, at the, and also recognizing that the best revenge is, is to, to, um, to show people that you're not affected by it. Mm -hmm. Mental illness and mental health is so stigmatized. Um, there's so much stigma around it, uh, particularly in startup spaces. Um, uh, several years ago, uh, um, a founder, um, she actually was at a networking event and she threw herself off the building and, you know, and unfortunately passed away. And um, it, it's sad because in the startup world, we have so much emphasis on the hustle and like, now the self-care movement, of course, is like becoming a thing, but self-care is really more focused on, in my opinion, um, based on what we create and also, you know, the content that we create as well as the content that I consume in other platforms. Um, a lot of it's focused on, you know, bubble baths and um, reading books. And when it comes to startups, we don't even talk about that, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. 
we emphasize getting wealthy and, um, you know, you see all of these founders who just, they seem impervious to any sort of human struggle. <laughs> when in actuality, it's so much harder and so much lonelier than anyone wants to admit. So sometimes a little too open, I think, but I, I'm very open about that. And that in itself, I think, for me is cathartic it, it, to be able to just talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm I I really admire that. And like you said, vulnerability is a strength. And the fact that you're sharing this, it's so easy to glamorize like being a CEO or having your own business and people don't really see that it can be so lonely or can be really difficult. And so what are some lessons that you've taken away from since starting your business? How have you learned to balance being a CEO and also taking care of yourself in that way where you don't burn out? So I, I have frequently burnt out. And I will not sit here and say that I no longer burn out. I will note that (laughs) because I will occasionally burn out and then I'll I'll come back, you know, the candle, the wax reforms. Um, But when it comes to self-care, I definitely am a lot better now than I was a couple years ago. So in terms of advice that I would give to anyone that is passionate about something and wants to start a company or wants to wants to go out on the Dever is number one, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It took me five weeks to get my first story uh, from a writer. That story isn't even up on the Tempest anymore. Um, and it took, it used to be that I would get so excited if five people visited the website in a week. And, and now it's, com- it's a completely different ballgame. But I think a lot of times we think um, going into it or not we're so used to instant gratification. I've spoken to so many people who are passionate about things and they want to start something up. And I give them the note that, hey, it does take time. I'm sure, Tara, like you, you could also give the, say the same thing because I mean, you're yes. a podcast <laughs> and I, I've seen your Instagram and I, and I recognize the hustle. Like you're, you're working really hard on this. Thank you. Yeah. And, and the reality is, is because I'm starting a new podcast. I had an old podcast that I decided to put on the shelf for a while, but podcasts rarely, you know, a lot of people start them and they realize it's so difficult to keep going. It's so Mm -hmm. hard and they just give up. And so the fact that you are at this point yourself, that you're just like, I'm, you know, I'm sure you've had moments where you're just like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm putting that in your mouth. (laughs) No, no, we've all been there. (laughs) Yeah. So there we go. So I've, I've been there as well. And so really ensuring that, um, you forgive yourself for the days that you, um, you're, you're feeling off or you're not that productive. And that's something that took me a long time to do. Another thing, um, that I has been really helpful for me has been to make to-do lists and anti-to-do lists. So I just found out about this and I love it. Um, and I've been using it now for six months and it's, it completely, helped me, um, both in my work as well as my mental health. Um, so essentially every day, you know, you have your three big frogs, right? Your three big things that you need to get done. So you write those out on your to-do list on a post-it note, and then you have another post-it note and that's your anti-to-do list. Now that's everything you end up doing too, (laughs) like, because let's say that you were supposed to send out a sales email, have a meeting, and put together a proposal but you also ended up sending out three emails you know 
talking to a friend, getting coffee, whatever it is, you put all that on your anti to do list and you cross them out. And then at the end of the day, you can look at these two post it notes and be like, okay, I did do something today. Even if I only got one of the frogs done, I also got a lot of stuff done on my anti list. And um, I used to come back home and my husband would be like, oh, what did you do today? <laughs> um, and and it just felt like I didn't do anything. <laughs> like I didn't do anything today. And now that I have the post-it notes, I'm like, oh, okay, I actually did do things that do matter. Maybe they don't matter as much as the big ones. Um, but but that's been a tip that's been really helpful, especially in the startup space where you're always in these weird up and down periods. Uh, a lot of it is you're stuck in this valley. Um, and then, you know, you feel like you're just plateauing and then suddenly there's a mountain that comes up and it just come, it goes from zero to a hundred real quick. So, so having those lists have been helpful. And then the last point, um, the last bit of advice I would have for anyone really is putting yet at the end of a sentence. So, um, a comedian actually that I was interviewing a couple years ago and she was talking about how she used to think she was awful at script writing but she was copy editing all of these scripts for her male colleagues. <laughs> and so one day she was like, you know what? I'm not good at script writing yet. And once she started using yet, that completely shifted how she thought about what she could offer to the world. And so I started doing that. And one of my big struggles used to be finances when it came to the company, you know, that's that's a great note data to include in in an episode where you're talking about startups, but that's <laughs> that's that's a reality. All of this I've learned on my own. I don't have a business background. Okay, so I I, I didn't know. I, I was terrified of finances. I didn't want to get into it. And then one day I was just like, you know what? I don't know this aspect yet, but I'm gonna figure it out. And after I started doing that. And I literally will stop my friends now when they say, I can't do this. And I'll be like, say yet. <laughs> I'll force them to say yet because it shifts your mindset. And I've, I've done so many things now that I never thought, um, like the Layla of like three years ago would have been like, damn, I, you know, I did not expect the Layla of me to know how to do. So, so yeah, that's, that's, I guess, a few pieces of advice. I definitely resonated with everything you said. And I completely agree. I think a lot of people fear starting because they think it has to be perfect or they feel like they're yelling into a void if no one responds to something they put out there, if it's online or in person. I mean, it's going to be like that in the beginning. And I think it's overall about believing in your vision and believing in the bigger picture. Like you said, life is a marathon, not a sprint, not a race. And so for you, what inspired you to keep going on those hard days? Because it's so easy to, with entrepreneurship especially, feel like maybe it's not worth it or, you know, have imposter syndrome. So what kept you going on those hard days or what keeps you still going on those days? Yeah, imposter syndrome is is a, uh, a mistress I have yet to be able to break up with. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the nicest way to put it, um, which is really funny, but... Good question, because I just came off a few weeks of, of feeling this way. First off, having a friend or a sibling or someone that you can just confide in and doesn't tell you, you know, it's going to be okay, just keep going, but really is like, yes, 
what you say is true. It is all horse dung and everything is going, you know, it's just going into the toilet and it, it sucks. It, you know, having someone else say to you after you've said it to them, having someone recognize that you are dealing with something to me has been more helpful than people who are like, it's okay. Chin up, keep going. Cheerio. You know, like, (laughs) like I don't need you to just pat me on my back and send me on my way. I need you to just for a moment, let me like, just sit in my puddle of misery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but at the same time, one tactic that my sister Huda uh, ended up forcing me to do, whenever you get a really nice note or an email or something, someone says something nice to you, just write it down and put it in a folder in your email, in your inbox. And on the days where it's you know, there are days where it's really bad, right? And then there are days where it's bad. And so on the days where it's bad, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go and open up one of those emails and it it soothes how you're feeling, right? Because you feel Mm -hmm. really raw, you feel really tired, um, uninspired, that sort of thing. And on the days where it's really bad, I just give myself a break. Um, I say to myself, it's it's okay. The beauty of of being able to work with my team um, you know, I mean, we have more than 2000 contributors, right? So more than 2000 women and non-binary individuals who are writing and working and creating these incredible narratives that are all on the platform. But we also have an amazing team. These are people that are from more than 10 countries that are all on, um, they're all on Slack, which is virtual workspace and being mm-hmm. able to just go there and, um, be like, hey guys, like, t- you know, would love to have some uplifting gifs. <laughs> um, and, and being reminded that there are other people that have been able to create things that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to create without the platform that myself and so many others, because I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, I did all this. Ha ha ha. You know, so many people have helped create the Tempest into what it is today. And being reminded of these amazing individuals who are putting themselves out there. Um, And I mean, for me, that's an inspiration. It always brings me to tears when I meet someone who has either, you know, written for us or has uh, either read an article, watched a video or listened to a podcast episode or whatever it is and kind of talking to them. And it sounds cheesy, but it, sometimes you forget, regardless of what your business is, or what your initiative is, it's easy to forget sometimes that you do have an impact. Um, Mm -hmm. And especially as whether you're uh, a woman or person of color, or, you know, non-binary individual, or whatever it is you are, like, it's very easy to, to kind of let your imposter syndrome tell you that you really haven't done anything. And even if it's um, a new initiative that just, you're like, wow, okay, I've only reached five listeners this week. Those are five people that tuned in and listened to you. Or five, you know, those are five people that purchased your product. That's, that's a big deal. You know, that's, that's, (laughs) you, you changed the life of at least one person. That's a human being millions of cells that form a human being that has lived their entire lives, discovered you, discovered your work, 
and decided to give you a chance. That's a big flipping deal. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, we're so focused, especially when it comes to social media, we're so focused on numbers and we don't see people as human. So it's like, even those few people are human, you change their lives or maybe you just, you know, you help them make a decision or just help them reflect in some way. And for me personally, there's no better feeling than knowing that I can make someone feel less alone or let remind them that they're not the only one going through this and nothing feels better than that, even if it's one person. So I don't at the end of the day, the money, the numbers, that doesn't matter if it's not authentic and if it's not real. And so I wanted to ask you, because this whole show is about living your most authentic life and every guest has such a different answer to that question. So I love asking it. So for you, what does living your most authentic life mean? I always wanted to be more myself. I had, at the time I had an alter ego when I would go on walks in my um, neighborhood. And if, if I was being harassed or someone said something or whatever it is, and I felt completely silent in my head, I'd be like, well, my alter ego would be doing this right now. And so, you know, as of at that age, I was like, I want to make sure that whatever I end up being when I'm older, that I'm proud of that. And so living my authentic life means that if I were to go back and talk to 14 or 15 year old Leila, would she be proud of me? Regardless of how much I've changed and what I've done in my life, would she give me the time of day? Not saying that 14 or 15 year old Leila was, you know, a butthole, but more along the lines of, am I doing things that that would make her proud to know that she was going to become? And, you know, I ended up becoming my alter ego. So that, that worked out. Um, and that's something that I, that I come back to is, would your younger self be proud of you? That's really the question, I guess, I ask myself because if my younger self isn't going to be proud of something that I'm going to be doing or something that I'm considering, then I need to take a step back and reassess why it is that I, what my intentions are behind doing said thing. And usually they're not good intentions, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So by that meaning, if I want to sign on to do an initiative that isn't something I'm passionate about, but something that would bring in some quick bucks. You know, I, I know that my younger self would not be proud of me for that because that's not something I'm passionate about. That's not who I am. That's not what I stand for. So yeah, mm -hmm. hopefully that answers your question. No, I love that. Like being true to yourself. And I'm so glad you brought up, you know, your child self because it's so easy to live life for other people, wanting to impress everyone around us. And I think many people forget to, you know, think about themselves and would I be proud? Am I the better version of myself today than I was yesterday? And I think that's all that matters. If we keep comparing, then we're never going to be happy because there's always going to be someone smarter than us or better at us in this skill. And so, or it seems to be, yeah. And so I'm so glad you brought that up. I think that's beautiful and I completely relate to that. So I really appreciate your vulnerability and really admire what you do. And it really just puts things into perspective. Just the fact that you had all that hate and bullying happen to you and you continue to live your truth. You know, many people, they struggle to just be themselves because one person in their life, an acquaintance is judging them. And so they, you know, they can't be authentic. And for you to experience that, but to keep going and to be that resilient, I think is really inspiring. So thank you for being here. 
Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I, I'll just add this um, with regards to, I think you brought it up several times now. So I just want to know, you know, when we're feel like on social media, we're competing with others, right? One thing that I learned about, or I've kind of reminded myself to start doing again is don't compete with others, compete with yourself because you know yourself the most and you know your own weaknesses and flaws. And it's actually, I think, a much more rewarding type of competition because, you know, if you're like, oh, okay, yesterday I had 100 followers on Instagram and Becky has 4,000 followers on Instagram, that, does, that makes you feel like you can't get to that point, in my opinion, in my experience. But if you're like, I have 100 followers right now and I know I can get to 3,000 because I am better than myself five minutes ago. <laughs> like, kind of competing with yourself, actually, I have found is, is much, m- much more f- fulfilling um, and, and fun in a way than, than kind of looking at everyone else. But I completely agree. And there, you know, I think so many of us think there's a limited amount of happiness and success, whatever that means to you. And at the end of the day, you know, other people can be happy and successful, but realizing that it's not limited, there's an abundance of all of that in the world. So I want to ask you lastly, what's coming up next for you and The Tempest and where can listeners give you a follow? Yeah. So what's happening with The Tempest and with me? We're currently in the midst of of finalizing the launch of our latest podcast, Don't Get Us Started, which is actually the trailer's already out on it's out on iTunes, et cetera, et cetera. You should subscribe. Um, I'm host co-hosting that podcast with my husband um, as part of the Tempest Podcast Network. Um, and uh, because we love arguing about the most random things, and it's funny, um, the Tempest we have our uh, we're currently accepting nominations for our 40 Women to Watch 2020 edition. And so that's available on the website. And so it's essentially a list of women and femme identifying individuals. Anyone who, and, and we're not about kind of featuring people who have made it, if that makes sense. It's it's the come up that's really interesting to us. So our spring fellowships are open. We do fellowships instead of internships. And we're about to launch our merch, our official merch. So <laughs> we're, we have a lot um, coming up in the next couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, if you are ever interested in writing for us or, you know, working with us, we're always open and accepting um, individuals and you can follow me on Instagram my user name is my full name so at Leila Rawa uh, L-A-I-L-A-A-L-A-W-A is also on Instagram we're at we are the Tempest Tempest is spelled T-E-M-P-E-S-T not Tempest I promise. Um, <laughs> and I'm also on Twitter at Lula in Life, which is L-U-L-A-I-N-L-I-F-E. And on Twitter, The Tempest is also at We Are The Tempest. Last thing I'll, I'll note is just if if anyone ever wants to reach out and get advice, you know, I'm more than happy to mentor or give advice because I really believe in 
passing on knowledge and, and supporting others. So if there's anyone out there, feel free and shoot me a tweet or DM me on Instagram. And yeah, I, I really appreciate and admire the work that you do, Tara. You're really hustling and giving it your all. And I thank you. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you being on the show and for sharing, like I said, for being so vulnerable and thanks again. I really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you. Thank you. So I want to thank Layla for being so open in this interview. She shared so much of what she went through, so much that I can't even imagine dealing with hate and death threats for just being yourself and being open and sharing what you believe in. So I'm very appreciative to Layla for doing so and for sharing the not so glamorous and if anything, sometimes really difficult parts of using your voice and and sharing your message unapologetically. And so some other topics that I thought about that Layla touched on was the whole idea of hustle versus self-care. And so Layla talks about what it was like to start The Tempest and how she struggles with burnout sometimes. And she was very honest in saying that, you know, she's not perfect in having that work-life balance. It can be very hard. And a lot of people think that you just need to hustle, 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 or that self-care means to just, you know, put a face mask on. When that can be nice, but in reality, we need to check in with ourselves, our mental health, our thoughts, just different ways that we can prioritize taking care of ourselves. And another aspect of that that I think really relates that Layla touched on is the whole idea of saying, I don't know this yet. So I can't do this yet. And how that puts such a different perspective and gives you a different mindset on what you're capable of and what you can do. And I I love that. I think that's so important to have because there are so many things I want to do, so many skills I want to learn and things I want to try and hobbies I want to try, things I want to do in life. And it can be discouraging when we think, well, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to use this. I don't know. I haven't done this. And saying yet at the end of it makes us believe and feel empowered to do so. I am going to travel. I'm going to travel to this place. I am going to learn this skill. I am going to reach this goal. And so I really like that, the whole idea of saying yet. And Layla also explains how she deals with imposter syndrome and burnout. And so one thing I love about these interviews is that I never know where they're going to go. So I have some questions ready and some ideas in mind, but I never know necessarily where they're going to go and what we're going to discuss. And so for Layla to open up about not just the business side of things, but about mental health and how that's affected her life and her work. And it's never perfect, but she's been able to find that comfort in herself and work through it because it's easy to say oh this is perfect i have this company yeah it's cool i'm helping people my life's perfect when no one's life is perfect and most people want to put that image that really unrealistic image out there but i'm i'm very grateful to layla for being open and for reminding people that you silencing yourself you being quiet and and you being quiet from fear or from embarrassment whatever it is from shame gives them that power and you don't want that you want to keep living your truth and living your life and not being silenced. And lastly, Layla mentioned what I like to say very often, that life is a marathon, not a sprint. And to compete only with yourself. So many of us deal with comparison. I talk about this all the time. I have specific episodes 
focused on this as well. But online, in person, we see people who may be thriving or seem to be thriving in ways that we want to. And so when we see someone our age doing something that we want to be doing and we're not there yet or they're in a relationship or job we want, whatever it is, it's easy to compare ourselves and feel like we're behind and feel like we need to rush and have things figured out. Like we think by 20, by 25, by 30, by a certain age, we need to have our careers figured out. It's just so many unrealistic expectations that put so much pressure on us are just they're just so harmful and so i agree that the only person you should be competing with or striving to be is someone who's better than who you were yesterday everyone's journey is so different and there's enough success there's enough abundance for everyone and so live your truth i think layla's such an ideal example of that of living your truth and you know, there are going to be people who hate on you and hopefully not to the extreme of what Layla had to deal with because that's horrible and I'm sure that's terrifying. I can't even imagine. And she was able to get through it with her strength, resilience, and believing in herself and having people around her, I'm sure. So something like that is so difficult. And so imagine that and then imagine you have one friend who makes fun of you for starting a business or for posting a video online. Are you really going to let one person's opinion affect you in that way? or a few people's opinion. You're the only one living your life, so live your truth. And I hope Layla inspired you to do the same. She definitely did for me. You deserve that. You deserve to live your truth. So to learn more about Layla, you can visit her website or her Instagram, Layla Aloha. You can also visit the Instagram for The Tempest at We Are The Tempest. And you can also check out her podcast, which she said she's going to work on soon. And so all that information will be in the description of this episode. You can also follow me on Instagram at tara.mont or the Instagram for this podcast at Trust and Thrive, which you should definitely follow for, for updates and for takeaways from every episode. I hope it can be a source of light and inspiration for you as well. I hope you all have a wonderful week and I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday.